Hey guys, it's Rhett here with the Awesome Book Club podcast, here to introduce you to the second and final part of our discussion of John Hersey's Hiroshima. Hiroshima, of course, follows the tales of six of the survivors whose lives were changed that morning, August 6, 1945. I know what you're thinking. The second and final part? Question mark? The last book had four episodes dedicated to it. Well, that's because Hiroshima is quite a short little read compared to Sapiens. It comes in at only about 150 pages. And you can get your mass market paperback copy on Amazon for less than 10 bucks. Before we kick things off, I want to remind you guys, this is a book club. And if you're listening, you're a part of that. And if you want to join the conversation, you can do so over on Twitter. We're at Awesome Book Club. But uh, if 280 words isn't enough, hop on your email and send us a letter. We're at abc at airpodcast.com. And if you find any time in your busy day, we'd really appreciate it if you could hop on iTunes or your favorite podcast app of choice and and uh, and give us a rating and a quick little review. Uh, really helps us uh, remain visible and help like-minded people find us. And if you don't want to miss any episodes, you can go ahead and uh, hit that subscribe button, and we'll keep you posted. One other thing that I wanted to plug in here before we kick things off, and I'll talk about it in a little bit more detail at the end of the episode, is that we are going to be releasing things a little bit out of order, a little bit of a shakeup. Um, because it is Black History Month, uh, we read Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and uh, you know, going in order wouldn't come out for several months, and we saw an opportunity to uh, to release it this month, and we will be releasing it definitely before February ends, so expect it in about a week or so. I'll give you a chance to say hi to our new co-host, Danny, and uh, to read an amazing book by an amazing author. All right, guys, here's the final installment of Hiroshima by John Hersey. We did this twice. Like, in the span of a couple weeks, we tested the first nuclear weapon. We dropped it on one city and demolished it. And then we dropped it on another city and demolished it. And so one thing that was crazy, and this kind of goes more towards some things I want to talk about in general, not necessarily directly about the book, but um, there was there was very little understanding about what the the weapon, what the atomic bomb could do and what it was used for and so i watched kind of a short documentary about this before recording and it was talking about you know how we decided to do it and the reasons for it and what other options there were so um in 1945 obviously the germans surrendered i think in may uh and then the japanese continued to fight the pacific theater uh, and there was Iwo Jima, which was like a really deadly battle that happened. Uh, and like tens of thousands of Americans died. And basically what they were saying in this documentary was they were learning. Cause like at, at around the same time, the kamikaze started going out and they would, you know, fly their planes into our, uh, aircraft carriers and boats and things. And with that and Iwo Jima where they would, like hide out in these um, caves and stuff on the island and just never surrender. They basically thought that Japan as a country would never surrender. So they started drafting this plan to invade the mainland of Japan. I think, is it Kyushu? That's like the biggest island. And a lot of the generals were, they had heard rumor basically about this bomb and they were thinking that we'd have kind of this D-Day invasion of the mainland. And as we're invading, we're dropping multiple atomic bombs on cities like all over the place. You know, it's like there is no understanding of what this bomb can do. And uh, also another thing that was crazy about about um, this documentary that I was watching, it was like a. The 50-year anniversary, um, Peter Jennings did some documentary about it on NBC, I think, uh, because at the time, 
the 50 year came up, the Smithsonian was putting up this exhibit about the bombings and they talked pretty negatively about it. And there was like this huge backlash from the veterans, basically like American veterans saying that like, this is essentially treasonous to like doubt what happened, you know? And so what happened was FDR dies. And well, before that, apparently a lot of people didn't think that he would pick Truman as, as the vice president. And I didn't know this, but Truman came on much later into the presidency and I don't know what happened there, but so FDR picks Truman and there was this other guy, I can't remember his name, who was like, everyone thought he would be vice president and he was like really knowledgeable about the nuclear program. And so what happened was Truman came in and he had no idea that the Manhattan project was even a thing. They said that Truman had only spoken directly to the president twice before he died. It's like, wow, that's just insane to think about. But so Truman comes in, he has no idea about the Manhattan project. Um, And this is, I think 1945, and he basically gets briefed on this like really quickly that this is what's happening and this other guy who knows a lot about it wants to basically demonstrate like the power that we have that we will now have uh, we being the US to the world and there were all these scientists that kind of like ganged up like they wrote petitions and stuff like Albert Einstein and I forget the other guy who was like a main player. They went and they wanted to meet President Truman to like dissuade him from using the bomb. And they ended up being told to meet the guy who was like informing Truman. I wish I had their name. Sorry. And basically that guy was like, no, we're, (laughs) we're going to use this bomb. It's kind of like my way or the highway kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, at least like start telling your allies about it. Like, I guess we had kept that information from the Russians and they, the scientists thought at least if we had told, told the Russians that we had atomic bombs, that it would like build trust with them. And we were, we being the U S government was worried that it would make them start an arms race, but it had kind of the opposite effect. So we wanted to like, just come out with a, a big blast and be like, we're the most powerful nation in the world. Um, you know, don't mess with us kind of a thing. And after we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, uh, I think three days later, the Russians declared that they were part of the, the war against Japan. And so there's a lot of this talk that, well, if we would have just like worked more closely with the Russians and had them invade sooner, or at least announced that they were, they were part of the war that the Japan, Japanese would have dropped out of the war regardless, you know, and we wouldn't have had to use the bomb. So there's, mm. there's all these like political elements that go into it. And you hear, so I, I tried to watch, like I watched several YouTube videos about like different sides. And of course, uh, Prager U, Prager University, Dennis Prager, he's like a conservative guy, had this video that was basically talking about why it was essential that we dropped the bomb, basically. And they were talking about how, and this is the argument that the government basically has chosen to proliferate, was that if we hadn't dropped the bomb, anywhere from like 250,000 to a million U.S. troops would have died invading Japan. And we would have all, there would have also been like as much or several times more wounded, basically. And so they use that, well... That, in addition to saying, well, the Japanese never surrender, so we would continue firebombing all of their cities, and the, the civilians wouldn't give up, and ultimately, like, the atomic bomb saved, like, millions of lives on both sides, you know? And there's still debate about it. <laughs> it makes me laugh that this is some sort of conservative position. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we should have dropped the bomb. A hundred percent. No regrets. You know, like, what? <laughs> you st- what? What? You know, and I understand that there, there are some reasons behind that. 
Um, but kind of what you were saying about that Japan might have surrendered anyway, you know, that's again, that's not our official narrative. And that I feel like I learned the official narrative in grade school or high school. And, you know, just so us Americans could have a justification and feel OK yeah. about it. Well, one but, thing when we yeah. were in Hiroshima, we went to like their museum about it. And now that now that I was there, I've heard this twice because of their museum and that Peter Jennings docu- uh, documentary I watched. But I was under the impression, and I don't know if I just told this or was told this or misheard this somewhere, I was under the impression that the U.S. had warned Japan, if you don't surrender, unconditionally surrender, we're going to drop nuclear weapons on you, like an mm. atomic bomb on you. But in the in the... In that museum, it said basically in April of that year, we, I think it was April, or it might have, it might have been later, we had, had some sort of communication with Japan and basically just said, like, we demand unconditional surrender. We didn't mention the fact that we were developing this brand new bomb. And I had never heard that. I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. I thought I like because, you know, the U.S. is like the good guy. I thought that we warned them. And then in this Peter Jennings documentary, they were showing this film that was made in like the late 40s that talked about the bomb. And they said that in the film, they said that the U.S. planes flew over and dropped all these flyers in Hiroshima that warns uh, the civilians to get out because we're going to drop an atomic bomb. And Peter Jennings like, that didn't happen. They didn't know about the atomic bomb. <laughs> hmm. they, they knew that the U.S. was going to be targeting one of several cities, and they thought it was going to be like a big bombing, but they didn't know what it was that it was going to be an atomic bomb, you know? And people didn't understand what that meant either, really, you know? How could you? How could you? Right. Yeah, uh, it is interesting. I, I remember learning the same thing. And, and I think like the museum specifically stated that, yeah, that there was like a request for an unconditional surrender. But they're like, yeah, OK, <laughs> like you don't want to give us any reasons for that. Then we're not going to like acquiesce, you know. Um, and yeah, why, and, why and, would you? I mean, if I bet you that the talks would have been different had um, had the U.S., explicitly stated that we have a weapon of unparalleled destruction. Yeah, and and part of the reason uh like they they thought some people said that if we ask them to surrender the the Japanese, if we had ha- asked them to surrender but left the emperor as being the emperor, like maybe it was more of like a superficial kind of a thing instead that it was more likely that um, the Japanese would have would have surrendered, but our government didn't want to offer that. Yeah. So there's all these different scenarios where it's possible that we could have still won the war in a similar amount of time yeah. without having dropped the bomb. One of the narratives that I've sort of been hearing lately is that um, the U.S. like intentionally sabotaged any chance that they had of like winning the war through a surrender before they could test the bomb. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wouldn't mm. I wouldn't uh, put it past us. <laughs> well, and I I'm thinking about this, and I know that like thinking about the logic behind it, whether or not we should have done it. It now that we're talking through this, I'm kind of like, well. This book is so focused on the people and it it then leads to that question, but it's not like, it doesn't really explore that, you know? And I, I know there's a hardcore history podcast that explores it and it's called logical insanity. And it's just like three hours on, should we have dropped the bomb or shouldn't we? And I feel a little bit like it's, I, what I gained from this book was not necessarily thinking more about that, but just the intimate understanding of how much pain yeah. was caused and how, how the world was never going to be the same after that one day. And 
Ah, yeah. And then how the kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the the bomb affected people, the Hibakusha, how the people that got the bomb dropped on them were then discriminated against because they were weak and sick. And uh, so I still I mean, I, I we could spend more time talking about the um, kind of the ethics of the bomb. But but now that we're in that conversation, I'm like, oh, the people, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's so like it's so so tough for them. And it, and it was so. I just felt like my heart was breaking every page, you yeah. know, and it it just made me have a lot more personal understanding of like the level of suffering that something like this would cause. Yeah. I think if somebody really wants a like more in-depth look at it, um, Dan Carlin's podcast, the episode that Kurt mentioned, Logical Insanity, and then also Destroyer of Worlds, which is a recent one are both like pretty thorough examinations um, at, you know, at this whole subject on like a grand scale. So um, feel free to listen to those. Yeah, I what I found interesting too, and I didn't actually take a lot of notes on, on the sections that kind of explain how the, the rest of their lives panned out. But I, I found it interesting that like every person had problems afterwards but there was really varying levels of i don't know what i want to say like success but also suffering and being able to enjoy life after that for for all of the the people in the books like one of the doctors became like a millionaire basically and like was able to um, build up his practice and became one of like the most well-known doctors in the area. And just like, you know, he had a BMW and like <laughs> lived mm-hmm. kind of this lavish life. And then there were others who I remember, uh, Hatsuyo Nakamura, she basically like, cause she had children and, uh, she basically, struggled to survive for a really long time. And and part of that was she was a seamstress and her husband went off to fight in the war and she just didn't hear back like whether he died or not for like three years or something. And her only way to make money for her family in like a very patriarchal society was by being a seamstress. And when the bomb was dropped, she had to leave behind her sewing machine. Uh, she she went, she actually put it in, I was talking about like that concrete barrel with water. She put it in there to try and protect it. And when she was able to go back and get it, it was like really rusted up and everything. And so that put her in like this really bad situation where like she didn't have a house for one thing, like her house was destroyed. She didn't really have many skills so she like had a really hard time getting a job and like they were talking about certain jobs that she got and it would be like yeah this paid the equivalent of like a dollar a week or something you know as like like oh my gosh and so like there was just real struggle you know for her and it was interesting like you have like this big range of what life was like after them but one of the things like you were saying as far as like them being discriminated against was like the country of japan didn't do anything to really help them with health costs or really anything for a long time like at one point it was in the 1950s they finally put out these health vouchers basically that people could use the hibakushas could use to get free health care but it was like nine years after the bomb had dropped and then i think it was mrs nakamura who was saying first of all she was working so hard trying to sustain for her family she didn't have time to go to the doctor so she would just like push on regardless of how she felt and second of all she had like this mistrust for the government because at the time like the u.s came in you know and were uh they were like censoring things and you know so people had 
didn't have trust for their government. So she like, even though the option was there to use these vouchers, she didn't use them for like three years because she just didn't trust that they would do anything. You know, so there was that. And then like, go ahead, Kurt. Yeah, actually this, this loops really well back to that conversation in the beginning. And it makes me think that, so we have two doctors, two priests, a woman that becomes a nun. And then this one kind of poor woman who really struggles afterward. And, and there's, you know, the other woman struggles. I'm guessing 95% of these survivors were like widows because their husband had died in the war. Maybe not that high of a percentage, but my kind of like that made me think about our conversation earlier on where I'm guessing the average person who survived lived a really, really, hard life and so, and probably shorter than a lot of these people too. And that we, we picked these people not only for their kind of like Western sensibilities, but maybe also to not, not show the true pain of it all, you know, to have like a, a bit of a rosy ending for some of these people lives. Like, Oh, I became the richest man in the city. You know, <laughs> like if it was just the average like selection of bomb victims, I'm guessing it would be that story of, they didn't have a lot of skills. Their livelihood was gone and they were poor the rest of their life. And that, I mean, it'd probably be true, but it'd be very sad. And it, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you, do you, I'm kind of guessing here, but does that sound right? Does that like seem right to you both? Uh, yeah, that would be what I would kind of think or feel about the issue. I mean, there were lots of people who, you know, uh, when we were in Hiroshima, there was like a whole... A monument dedicated to a little girl and God for the life of me, I cannot remember her name, but, um, she had like survived the explosion and was like symptom free of anything for like 12 years. And one day she had to like leave school and she like went to the hospital where they're just like, uh, we have no idea what's wrong with you. You're dying. And she's like, Oh, this sucks. And so like to occupy her time, like her and her sister folded, they tried to fold a thousand paper cranes. Um, and I don't think that they got to a thousand before she died. Um, but yeah, the point is, is that there is like a lot of people who might have seemed to escape unscathed, went on to lead like relatively normal lives afterwards, you know, going to school and doing that sort of thing, who then just succumbed to like radiation sickness down the line. You know, there was really like no way of telling um, who was going to get sick or who was going to live like a full life because that girl in particular, like I said, it was more than 10 years of a seemingly normal life unaffected, you know, other than like the utter tragedy of the situation for the year, the immediate years after don't know where I was going with that. One thing that, um, I'll go on to say about our visit there as well is that, I think the museum itself was sort of like split into like two separate sections and you have like the one section that was sort of like geared towards like the grand scope of it all. You know, you have pictures of the, of the whole city from, you know, like the one surviving structure you have, um, news clippings and news reels and, you know, videos of like political talks and all of these sorts of things. Um, and then you go downstairs and everything is like geared a lot more towards like that, the, the individuals like Kurt was talking about before. And the two things that stuck out with me the most were the collections of clothes that children were wearing, just like, you know, destroyed in tatters, still covered in blood to this day or burned things like that. You know, and then and then there was other artifacts as well. Like, you know, they showed um, like a collection of glass bottles that had just like been fused together. They showed a bunch of like concrete that had like melted and taken a new shape. But the clothes really are like what really stick with me. And then not only that, but there was like a collection, I guess, stories, for lack of a better word, from mothers of the last words that they heard from their children before their children died specifically like the day that the bomb was dropped and the immediate aftermath, which um, was like pretty emotional. 
you know, you don't think about how many kids died in the attack, but uh, there was a lot, <laughs> you know, and it's like we always yeah. like I think the like narrative that we grow up hearing is it's like, well, you know, we were trying to win the war and we were trying to do all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but like, can you tell me the, the exact number of kids that died in that thing? Because it like I think that if every single person had to like hear a child's last words before they died, like they would all have unanimously voted not to drop the bomb. Hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of kind of what you were saying about the clothing. I've, I've been to the Holocaust Museum here where I live in Washington, D.C., and I've heard from multiple people that the most powerful part of it is a part with all the shoes that the people had taken from them on their way to being murdered. And I think that was like so strong and powerful that you see these shoes and you, you think about the space that they left. So it's funny that not, it's not funny, but it's really interesting to think about that connection to clothing. So I had a question for you both about Hiroshima. And one thing I was reading in the book, the survivors had very different responses. Some of them said things like, Oh, it happens. Or what could have, what could we have done? You know, kind of like a traditional response or for people that are trying to get over it and maybe maybe a Japanese response in some ways and others I think Dr. Um, Sasaki said everyone who made that decision should be hanged hum hang I don't know in a criminal in a criminal court in like a war criminal court and so there was kind of this intense hatred of Americans it was that I, uh, your experience in modern Japan was any of that there where like there are people that are still uncomfortable being around Americans, seeing Americans, or is that kind of faded into time? Um, I didn't get that vibe in Hiroshima at all. You know, and it's like, that's something that me and Bailey talked about a lot. Like while we were going, it's like, <laughs> you know, how weird is it that Americans are going to like this peace memorial and going to this like museum and Honestly, the vibe I got was more that it's like it's there for people like us who don't grow up with the stories, you know, and it's the same thing with like Pearl Harbor. Like I went to Pearl Harbor and saw plenty of Japanese there. And, um, you know, like, could you imagine if we're like no Japanese allowed in Pearl Harbor? Like, I think then it misses like one of its target audiences, you know, like not that any living Jap uh, Japanese people had anything to do with Pearl Harbor. Uh, well, I guess there probably are some, but but none of the ones that were there that I saw had anything to do with it. And just like none of the, you know, white people I saw at the museum, not that there were many now that I think about it, it's like mostly school children and stuff. Not that, you know, we had anything to do with the decision to drop the atomic bomb, but it's like it's still like sort of part of our heritage. And I think it's like important that we sort of like, you know, I don't necessarily think that like we have to like own it, I guess, but it's definitely like our responsibility to like face it. It's like a part of our heritage, you know, just like it's a part of our heritage that we, you know, stole all the land that we're currently occupying. And it's like, while it's certainly like not our faults, we still kind of have a responsibility to history and, and to the people that died that to sort of face it head on. I don't know. I didn't get that vibe while I was there at all. Yeah. Um, I kind of got the, the vibe that, it was almost, I, I mean, there wasn't anything like no one like thanked me or yeah. anything like that, but I did get the vibe that it was kind of appreciative that. Yeah, me too. It was appreciated that we were there trying to learn about this horrible thing. And and me and Rhett have talked about this before, but like when we were there, uh, North Korea had been testing nuclear bombs, you know? And so they're inside of the, the museum. There's this clock that counts the number of days and years and whatever since the last seconds detonation of a bomb seconds yeah and we had gone when we were there it, it had been four days since you know and yeah. and it's like from this book and everything that's something they really focus on especially towards the end it well and japanese people nowadays like i talked to my friend yuta uh, a little bit about it and it's just like we don't want this to happen ever again. And he's like, you know, it, it's crazy that it's a possibility that this is going to happen again. And one thing 
that struck me about the ending of this book was we're starting to learn about what happened after the bomb was dropped. And we start getting into years after it's dropped and we're seeing kind of this discrimination against these, these people that were involved in the bombing and, you know, kind of like there was this one scene that was described about, uh, was it Tanimoto who basically was taking disfigured girls to the U S to get plastic surgery and he was going kind of around the U.S. talking every single day to people about what happened and that they're trying to raise awareness and, and make it so that this doesn't happen again. And he was even like he was put on this TV show and it was kind of like he was a prop, you know. And there's like this kind of weird thing going on, like two things going on at the same time. You have. These people who experienced the bomb, all of their suffering, you have people that are trying to kind of like put a narrative onto them for whatever cause, you know, like it, it made it seem like the Americans that were involved with this man, I think it was Tanimoto, were doing it to like earn money, you know, kind of like this odd, immoral kind of thing, I, at least to how I've perceived it but then meanwhile through the book you'll get these random like one sentence bold sections that says oh yeah and it's like you know december 8th 1956 and russia just tested its first like hydrogen bomb oh yeah it's like whatever 1976 and india just acquired plutonium and and can now produce nuclear weapons or whatever you know and it's kind of like this whole thing where one side of the story where we're where we're talking about the people involved or that experienced the bomb how much suffering they went through and then we have this other branch of the story that's just saying like yeah we don't care (laughs) (laughs) and the japanese people are continuing to say never let this happen again let us be the example. Yeah. And, and that's kind of that's kind of what I got when I was there. I got that vibe. Yeah. And mm. they really and I think this goes to Rhett's point. While you're there, whether it's the memorial to the little girl who made all of the cranes or just when we were there, we're walking around kind of this like park area that's close to the museum and there's like all these school kids in their uniforms, like their school uniforms like super cute kids and they're at this really powerful place and they're singing. I don't know what their song was about, but they're like singing just out to the public, you know? And there's just like this emphasis on children. And like when I was in the museum, I walked past the children's clothes and these like four little boys, like it's like this glass display and you see the, the uniform. These four little boys are like looking in at it and, you know, there's little kids. They're, like, joking around, like, hitting each other and whatever. And I can see them through the glass right behind this uniform. And it looks very similar. Yeah. It was, like, the most heartbreaking thing ever. And then they walk up to me, and one of them, like, makes a face, and the other one goes, hello. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, I'm like, hi. You know? <laughs> you guys are just kids. Like, this is, I don't know. You know? But it's just really powerful. And uh, there was there was one line in the book, um, I'm gonna try and find it, that reminded me of that, and just like how children behave, and and why probably when we talk about war and horrific things, we focus a lot on children because they're so, you know, genuine and innocent. What's their innocent? That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> but there was on page seventy of the copy I had they're talking about kind of that scene where they're like in the, uh, the park and they're, you know, trying to stay in safety. And John Hersey writes, it was difficult for all the children in the park to sustain, sustain the sense of tragedy. You know, they were, they just experienced like the most horrific thing ever. And then they talked about like, there was some explosion that happened nearby, like afterwards, like, 
maybe it was a like a gas canister or something like blew up and this one little kid who was there who like his parents had died or something was like he just couldn't stop talking about like this bright flashing explosion and how it looked cool kind of a thing you know mm-hmm. it's like geez these kids like they're just kids and we just like wiped 50,000 of them off the map you know it's like just so insane yeah um i'll add to it just real quick the about kurt's question is like yeah definitely the vibe that i got it was definitely like i've never like been to a place that was like so geared towards like the idea of like never again you know and i was talking to you about earlier about like the mayors for peace or the cities for peace whichever it is and it's like everything about that place is just like a is like a monument to the world like saying like we're happy to be the example if this never happens again. I wonder, it kind of puts me, a follow-up question that leaves me then is like, well, did we have to have an example to have a never again? You know, like if they, if nuclear weapons weren't used then, would the first one used have been an atomic bomb, an atomic bomb? or no, a thermonuclear bomb? Do you think that in some ways seeing the pain that we cause and the suffering was it the best deterrent possible? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's tough, man. I don't know. Like part of um, part of like being a human being is like empirical evidence, right? Like we are creatures of five senses, and it's like we often as uh, recent trends in the media have illustrated we have a hard time sort of like believing that or like accepting or or understanding that which does not personally affect us and i don't know i i would like to say that i would think that the technology researched would have been put to better use uh, had it not been used you know to level a city But again, I think that it's just like human nature. Like we created this thing that could like, we've been smashing rocks together for how long? Then we created a bow and it's like, well, you created a bow. Like you're not, how long are you going to shoot at targets before you like try to shoot a deer with it? You know, it's, I don't know. It just seems like human nature. I'm not necessarily saying that it's like it had to happen for us to get to the point where we accepted that it should never happen again. But I think like the sheer, well, and the screwed up part is it did happen again. And, you know, a couple weeks later, um, crap i lost my train of thought but basically i would like to think that we wouldn't need to be that way but unfortunately like i kind of think that we are and i don't know i it's definitely like not for me to like say that it had to happen to be sort of like the monument but if the people that it affected are like willing to be that monument then that's different than you know me pinning that on them I mean, the crappy thing is like it happened and there's just, there's no undoing it. There's no taking it back. You know, we can do our best to like move forward with it. And if the best thing that happens from it is that it never happens again, then it's the silver lining in the, in the cloud, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. This kind of is a continuation of part of our talk with sapiens (laughs) and my whole thoughts on humanity, basically. But I think the way you posed the question um, is is how I feel that we would actually that it would be if if we hadn't used a nuclear weapon then we we would have used it later is my opinion. I think that humans are very naive in the power that we wield. I don't know. I I, I really just hope that. Um, not really like using the Japanese as an example, like what happened to them as an example, but like doing kind of what we're doing right now, like learning about what happened and being thoughtful and considerate in terms of like, how do we take this information and not let it happen again? Kind of a thing. I mean, I guess that is using them as an example, but you know, like, and especially like you said, is it worth it really to analyze the politics of whether or not the bomb should have been dropped or should we spend more of our effort looking at kind of the individual experience that 
people went through. Yeah. And I, I found this read to kind of try to wrap this up a little bit. I found this read very beneficial. Like being in Japan was amazing. I loved it as a country. Hiroshima was very powerful, but this book like put a lot of what I experienced there into a greater context that at the very least has made me more interested in learning about the history of Japan and also just like what the future holds for the world and what, you know, what we can do to prevent like these in an instant destructive, you know, moments, right? Like maybe somebody listening to our podcast or something will, who had never thought about it, start looking into this and be an advocate for disarmament or, you know, just a kind of like what we've been talking about, just like challenging our thoughts and learning more about a difficult topic to form an opinion and, and hopefully one for the better. You know what I mean? I don't know. Do you guys have any, any five to, Oh, any five, sorry. I started reading that. Uh, <laughs> dude, my brain is, is uh, pretty mush right now, but do you guys have any final thoughts? Anything that you want to mention um, before we wrap this up? I, I think we should maybe make a little plug for what we have in store next. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, anything else you guys want to mention about the book or the experience, I suppose? Uh, I don't know, Kurt. You got anything? I, yeah, I think it's interesting because in talking about this podcast, I don't think we really knew exactly where the conversation was going. And what I'm surprised in talking about it is I'm coming out of this with just like a heavy heart. Yeah. <laughs> like my, I'm just feeling like, ah, oh, because you, you're kind of reliving these people's experiences as you talk them through. And then you're also thinking about these unanswerable questions. Like, should we have done this? You know, and like, was this the thing that stopped us from having more nuclear bombs? Because we saw, you know, these kind of questions don't have an answer. And they're just the, the what actually happened is so freaking painful. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it's not really a final thought. It's just so like, I think this book really, I would really, really recommend reading it because it's the ultimate empathy it's the ultimate empathy you could feel to people that went through that. Like you can never live that situation, but this, this book is about as close as you're going to get, yeah. even with its problems of it's a doctors and priests, you know, it still puts you right up in the action with not a lot of commentary, just the, the nuts and bolts facts. And I, I think that's the best way to see it. You know, I think it gives you, an accurate portrayal of this is what happened. This is the pain it caused. This was the rest of those people's lives. And what are you going to do about it? Or how does that make you feel? You know, Oh, I just, yeah, I'm just like feeling a lot right now. That's, that's my final thought. It's just like, Oh, heart. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I agree. It definitely is like very, very empathetic look, um, at what could have happened. And, the best part about it is that it is not this overarching look at everything. It is simply the look at these six people's lives from the, you know, from moments before it happened until, you know, months, days, years after. Um, I, I think that the benefit is I always like find these situations like and, you know, we come to the unanswerable questions again and there's no way that we have like the time or the expertise uh to like answer these questions you know like should we have done it should we have not you know and and taylor wrote a question on his notes about like does it does it um like sort of wipe clean the deeds that japan did during the war does it balance the scales like those things are like pretty unanswerable in general but uh, i think like the benefit of where we are now in history is that like the people responsible for it on either side are like no longer, you know, either no longer living or just like no longer uh, making those types of decisions. And it falls to like us, the new generation to just like 
do what with the future what we will. And um, I think if everybody read this book, the future would be very, very, um, you know, not as bleak. A lot of people would be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, let's make sure that that never happens again. You know, like, I don't want to be buried under a bookcase and have my legs broken for 11 months or whatever it is, 11 weeks. Yeah, I don't know. Lots of unanswerable questions. But again, like every day is a new day for us to like make a new world. And um, books like these, I think, help make a new world and make it a better place. So I'm very happy with this pick. And uh, I want to thank you, Taylor. Yeah, thanks, guys, for uh, for reading along with me. I had really no idea um, what this would be like, but I think that it was beneficial to read and discuss. And as always, uh, it's really fun to get your guys' take, especially since I respect both of you and know where you come from and all that kind of stuff. So thanks for, for reading along and hopefully you listener, um, either got something out of this conversation, uh, or decide that you want to read the book as well. We'd love to hear from you as well about what your thoughts are. If, if we've made any miscalculations in our interpretations or whatever it is, if you, you know, just want to speak your mind uh, eventually. So we're, we're kind of in the early stages of this podcast. We've been trying to hash out the details of an official name and get up uh, some social media where you guys can interact with us. And so that's all on the docket and we're hopefully going to get that resolved very soon. I'll go ahead and uh, hand off my role as quarterback to, uh, to Rhett here because next time we're going to be talking about Rhett's pick. So do you want to just briefly mention the your pick and maybe like why you picked it? Yeah, sure. And also, I just want to say, Kurt, anytime you got to get going, we can go ahead and, and like wrap it up. And then me and Taylor can sort of just, you know, bookend this and uh, wrap it up. So uh, don't be shy. Anyways, yeah. So sort of following on the tales of Hiroshima, the next book that we're going to be reading is uh, Diary of a Young Girl. Uh, otherwise known um, in some renditions as Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah, don't know exactly why I chose it, other than, like, Kurt mentioned a really great idea about uh, trying to, like, read more books from uh, women authors. And uh, I had never read it, and I never got a clear answer from either one of you if you had read it. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I was like... I haven't read it. <laughs> okay, great. See, and that's the thing. Like, so many people were talking that they had read it in high school. It was like assigned reading and all this sort of stuff. It wasn't for us, which actually kind of makes me sad because, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually, like, pretty deep into the book at this point. But, yeah, I, uh, I think it seems, like, a s- exceptionally sort of, like, prevalent and um, topical today. Uh, sort of just like how Hiroshima is like still sort of topical uh, today. You know, we have uh, a person in the office who um, wields like the ultimate power that uh, human beings have ever created, the button that you can press and just like blow up the planet. And again, uh, Diary of Anne Frank, you know, just sort of hoping to get another intimate sort of personal look at um, some of the horrific things that human beings are capable of. And right now we have like, a, you know, like a new wave of like fascism and um, uh, I guess white supremacy sort of like cropping up in the U.S. And um, I think that it might behoove us to remind ourselves um, why we aren't like that, why we shouldn't be like that, at least so that's what we're reading. And if you're interested in it, uh, you know, go ahead and pick it up. Uh, both of these books, Hiroshima, I found at my used bookstore for three bucks. Uh, Diary Van Frank, I found at a used bookstore for four. So, um, you know, hopefully these are some accessible titles after Sapiens, which uh, I guess they do have a paperback cover of. But I, I spent $20 for the hardback. <laughs> it was worth every penny. <laughs> it was such a great book. But yeah, Diary Van Frank, yeah, go ahead and, and uh, get your hands on it. Um, it uh, makes it all the more heartbreaking that you know how the story ends. At least you should. Um, and I'll save most of the conversation for uh, when we actually record our podcast about that. But uh, I'm actually pretty excited for it. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, I just like devoured, you know, the first section of the book, like the day that I got it at the bookstore. So um, I think it's going to be a page turner for sure. 
I think that one of the things I've noticed or I'm noticing now hearing you introduce that is that the theme of our first round of, of reads or first trio is like the lowlights of the human species. <laughs> <laughs> like it's really a tour of some of our worst moments. I don't but know. I, Sapiens was a little bit more positive than both of these other true, ones. Yeah, yeah. But Very even, true. even the Diary of Anne Frank, what I've read so far, there is there's so much like positivity and i was telling taylor this earlier and i'll and i'll reiterate it when we record but it's like i see so much of myself in her in her writing um which like makes it even that more heartbreaking you know it's like jesus christ she was just like a little girl like we were all that way one at one point you know just these like smart ass kids like full of curiosity and wit and also just like you know little shits at the same time (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Unless there um, is anything else that you guys want to add, I think that's uh, where we can sort of pull the plug. Make sure you get your hands on the on you know diary of a young girl before you listen to the podcast, so you can um, hopefully have it read and uh, join in our on our conversations. For sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Much love, y'all. That was very fun. More details to come soon. Yes. Follow social media. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Bad podcast name. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a great month, and we'll catch you the next time. It's Red here again. Thanks so much for listening to our discussion about Hiroshima by John Hersey. Uh, We really hope that you guys got as much out of this book as we did. You might have heard us talking about the next read on our list, which is Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. But there's been a little shakeup. You can go ahead and get started on Anne Frank if you'd like. But this being February, Black History Month, we are going to release things a little bit out of order. And that'll get you a chance to uh, say hi and get to know our new co-host, Danny Vandekoevering, who will be joining us for everything after Anne Frank. The next book we are going to release, we're going to release before February ends, so within a week. And we are going to be discussing Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, An amazing, amazing read, and I highly recommend it to anyone. There was many times that I was I was moved to tears by that book. There's a lot of passages and topics that uh, I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life. Um, so if you want to be able to read along with that one, you'll have plenty of time before we get back on schedule. But before then, we are going to discuss Between the World and Me as part of Black History Month. So we hope you enjoy that. Get your hands on that. Uh, it's available on Amazon. I did see a couple used copies at uh, local bookshops, things like that. So maybe you can try your hand there. Again, we really appreciate you guys sticking around. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Awesome Book Club. Or write us a letter. We are abc at airpodcast.com. And please, 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 I know I've said it twice already this episode, but uh, leave us a like, uh, or, or rather a rating and a review on iTunes if you find some time in your hectic day. If not, we really appreciate it, and we're going to keep doing our best to deliver these awesome discussions to you guys. So uh, stick around and uh, hit subscribe if you don't want to miss anything.